0: So we continue our series, The Modern Biblical Family, and we're taking a look at how God speaks of family. So just to review, the first week, we, Pastor Moki talked about, who am I? What does it mean to be human? We know when we look that we are not like the other creatures in the creation. And so our bodies and our souls united as one, they become a proclamation, they tell the story. And then two weeks ago, he talked about what is marriage. This indissolvable bond of male and female. A one flesh union. Which is a sign to proclaim the relationship between Christ and his church. And then what is a child? Last week. A child is a gift that, that proceeds from that one flesh union. Not some economic figure. Not some investment into future productivity. But a gift. Each and every child. Unrepeatable. And unique, unlike any other person who ever was or ever will be. And so, to tie those together today, because each of those relationships deal with this concept of love, today we need to ask that question what is love? We haven't looked at that yet. And it's more than emotion, It's, it's a promise. And it's a word we use so casually. I love ice cream. I also love my wife. Hopefully you understand those are two very different things. Why do I love ice cream? I love ice cream because of the sugar rush it gives me. I love ice cream because it dances upon my tongue. I love ice cream because it warms me on a, cools me on a warm summer day. Or I'm pretty sure this past week it actually might have warmed you up. We love these things because of how we can take from them. We're not called to treat people the same way, are we? The Greeks were careful with their words. They had four different words for love. We have one, and we throw it around so loosely. Love is being a sincere gift of a self, to someone else. It's not about what I can take or get or use. It's about an opportunity to give, to open my heart and pour myself out into another. And so when we ask the question, who I am, it's an opportunity to sacrifice my pride, the masks I put on, the, 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 the hoods I wear to cover myself so that others may not know who I truly am. And so we're called to sacrifice our pride. In, in what is marriage, we're called to sacrifice ourselves for our spouses or for those who, who do not have spouses now or, or have chosen to remain single to show us that there's more in this world than a fleeting moment of physical pleasure. Pleasure. Or for what is a child, your child is a daily opportunity to sacrifice yourself, is it not? Each and every moment, living for their sake. But it's not just about sacrificing, it's also about doing it for the right reasons, right? I can sacrifice my pride in order to manipulate you to show me pity. I can sacrifice myself by doing dishes for my wife so that later I may be paid in return. I can sacrifice for my children so that they'll accept me and adore me and look up to me because I so earnestly want their approval. Love is is not giving in order to receive, but simply to give with no conditions. The last few weeks, Pastor Milky has been touching on some very delicate and tough subjects, and and I don't have time to do them all justice, so I encourage you, go online and listen. If you missed the week, Listen the last three weeks of sermons, if, if you want to just refresh what was said, please go back and listen. But if we had ears to hear, we, we heard that it wasn't just about those people. You, you know, the ones that are worse than me, that are, are dealing with different issues than me. The ones I wouldn't care to associate with and lump together. But if you had ears to hear, you heard that it wasn't just other people. It was, a, it was each and every one of us, that all of us have failed and fallen in our sexuality that all of us have fallen short of God's design for our sexuality. But the good news is that even in our broken bodies, these broken bodies, by the grace of God, are redeemed and proclaim His promise of love. That we would come with repentant hearts to receive His gifts. And He shows us His love through the flesh. Most specifically, through the incarnation. When He humbles himself to walk on this earth. He could have stayed, Lord of Lord, kings of kings, could have stayed on his throne in heaven and looked down on us with great disgust. And instead he humbled himself and took on flesh and walked to the place of death, to Golgotha for us. And it's at Golgotha on the hill laid upon a cross that we see this beautiful truth that love costs something. Love always costs something and it costs Jesus' life. This this is something we know intuitively. Think in your own life when you have sacrificed to show someone love and what sacrifices you made. Think in your own life when other people have made great sacrifices to show love to you. But it always has a cost. There's a cost to humbling myself and to be honest about my brokenness. There's a cost to caring for a sick spouse There's a cost to helping a friend who was kicked out of their home. There's a cost to saying, I'm sorry. There's a cost seeking forgiveness when trust has been utterly broken. There's a cost to offer your body up for nine months to a child to reside. And then there is a cost to give birth to that child. Love has a cost. Are we willing to pay it? And we may convince ourselves it's easy to love those closest to us. But is it? Is it really easy to? How often do we take the people closest to us and we share them love in order to get something in return? I bought you a gift and I hope you recognize that you should now give me a gift. And if it's hard to love those closest to us, how much more difficult will it be to love those who aren't just like us? To love those who disagree fundamentally with us. And how do we even speak the truth in love into those situations? Jesus, when when he was back home in Nazareth, he returns after doing many signs and wonders, miracles in Capernaum. And he goes to the synagogue and he teaches and they're astounded. They're they're worshiping him. They're, They're amazed by him. And Jesus could have taken that great joy, that great reverence they had for him and left. With everyone in Nazareth, happy. And instead, Jesus stirs the, spot, the pot. He speaks. And he basically is telling them, you're all selfish. You don't want miracles to glorify God. You don't want miracles to prove who I am. You want your own miracle for your own greed. Your desires are disordered. You're all asking, where's my miracle? When is it time that I get something for all the love I've shown God? And he, he hits on a nerves so much so that they go from adoration to hatred just in a moment. And not just like they're angry with Jesus, but they push him to the edge of the hill and go to cast him down headlong to kill him. And this is not the last time he will speak truth. And that those who hear it will try to kill him. As he's before Pilate and speaking the truth of why he has come. And Pilate asks, what is truth? And Jesus without words says, let me show you, here is my body. Given up for you. You see, Jesus in Nazareth and Jesus before all the people on trial saw the people. He saw each and every one behind the masks and behind the hoods that each and every one of them tried to hide themselves and seem so perfect. He saw them. He sees them. And he loves them, has compassion on them. And so he speaks truth and love to them, even if they don't want to hear it. Think how we commonly address hard topics. There's two common ways to address hard topics. The first is to just accept all things and keep silent. We're told, and this is becoming more and more prevalent, we're told to do anything else is hatred. And so we speak against nothing and then we stand for nothing. And while there are certain moral evils that still stand in this world, those are becoming fewer and fewer, even as a discussion about what a life is and what children are over the past two weeks has been completely lost. And so if we don't speak, we stand for nothing and we quote unquote love, but there is no truth. And the other the other thing we do is we speak, but we wield the truth with such venomous precision that we destroy lives. We are so concerned about being right and proving other people how wrong they are. We are so concerned with winning an argument that that we destroy souls in the process it's like if a bus is bearing down on someone on a street and we see that person is our first inclination is the loving thing to do to see that person and say well I I wouldn't want to hurt them by tackling them out of the way and I wouldn't want to offend them by putting my hands on them so I'm just going to watch. Is that love? with the loving thing to do would be see the bus coming and see it about to hit the person and not want them to suffer so you take out a gun and you shoot them dead? Would that be love? No, we count the cost. We know it could cost us everything. We throw our bodies out in front of them and get them out of the way even if we are not able to get out of the way because we understand the cost. We understand what is at stake here and we understand it may cost us dearly but that's okay. Are we we afraid someone's not going to like us? Are we concerned about winning and being right? That we just argue? Or do we truly desire the good of another person? Where Jesus, even upon the cross, crying out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Even when they nail him to a cross, he wants the good for them. He never stopped seeing them. And it cost him everything, but it was necessary so that we may gain everything. When we speak the truth and love, do not be surprised by the cost. It costs Jesus greatly, it's gonna cost us. But this is different than blasting people and dehumanizing entire groups of people and then wondering why we are attacked. We go in gently with care and love. And again, this is not some carte blanche, everything's okay message of acceptance. Everything's okay. Everything's great. Everything's permissible. That's not what I'm saying. It's a message that we have received that we have to bring into the world. It's a message of repentance. But we have to first be Open and honest about our own hearts and our need for transformation by the power of the Spirit, so that others may hear this re- message of repentance and their hearts be transformed by the power of the Spirit. A trust in a heavenly feast, a trust in God alone, and a trust that He will fulfill all of our desires greater than any momentary and fleeting pleasure of this world and all the world has to offer. And it will cost us greatly. But this is what we see from Jesus again and again as he addresses this woman at the well and expects nothing in return but offers her grace and mercy. Or the woman caught in adultery and he says, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Or in the parables, the cost of the prodigals. Son, for the father to welcome that son back in. It cost the father his, his fortune, his fattened and cash. cost the father his relationship with his eldest son, the good son, as we may see him. The vineyard workers who come in the 11th hour and get the, paid the same wages. The, the master paid and gave his money for someone who did nothing. The unforgiving servant, the master, it costs him billions of dollars to forgive the debt and he expects nothing in return. The master never counts the cost of of love. He never counts it against us. He never obsesses with winning or getting it back or making all things square or even. He gives up his life so we have life. He doesn't count the cost all the way to death and death on a cross, expecting nothing in return. And most often we as humans give him nothing in return. He simply calls us to repentance. I want to share with you a clip from a movie, Les Miserables, not the musical, the 1998 version with Liam Neeson. And Jean Valjean is a criminal. He's marked as a dangerous man and marked uh, with his paper so that he can't find anywhere to stay or any work. And he, he comes before this bishop and the bishop uh, brings him into his home. Knowing all of this, knowing who he is and he offers him a meal and not only offers him a meal, but calls Jean Valjean his honored guest. And Jean Valjean takes out hospitality, and the movie clip is going to begin that evening when he's going to be trying to take that which he saw that night to care for himself. And I want you to pay attention. Jean Valjean takes advantage of his hosts. Look how the bishop responds. He does not force Jean Valjean. He has no hope of being repaid for his gift. He simply proposes a yet more beautiful way. And he pulls off his hood and he sees the man. And he says, My brother. He sees a, a man worthy of redemption and grace and mercy. He could have won. He could have said, this man assaulted me. He stole from me. took from me. Put him away for life. He could have won. But in game, there's always winners and losers. Instead, he offers a new life. A life he will not see the fruit of. And it costs the bishop his pride and his silver. But he never counts the cost. The the woman doesn't get it. Did you get the candlestick? She's like, What? Stop talking about it. We'll use wooden spoons. This woman doesn't get it. He sees the man. Brothers and sisters, do we see our brothers? Do we see our sisters? And Do we, see, do we desire the good for them? Do we see the power of God's redemptive love in our life and wish that for the lives of others? Those we know and those we yet to know. The culture keeps crying out, love wins. No, brothers and sisters, love dies. Love must die in order that it can rise again. And it may come into new life. And so through repentance, through laying down these things, through, through laying down ourselves even before Christ this day in the Eucharist, He raises us up and makes us a gift of his love unto the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.